0: As we are talking about persecution and pressure in our lives, we've been looking at First Peter because really the, the book of First Peter, as we've learned, was written during a time of intense, acute, terrible persecution for those first century Christians. And as we would reflect back on a rich faith heritage that we can, you know, hold on to and we say, wow, there's, you know, whatever, I think we've got 70, what, eight years or something of history here at this church. The the movement we're a part of, you know, 500-year history and then 2,000-year history of Christian churches, and we've got all of this that we can look back on and we can draw strength from, these first-century Christians didn't have any of that. Many of them, most of them, were new believers. The oldest believer that could have been in these situations would have been about 30 years, Um, and most of them who would face the persecution, you know, obviously would have become Christians even, you know, in few, fewer years than that. And so as Peter's writing to these believers who are facing the fire, literally, um, how will they stay strong? And what should they do? When we think about our lives, what should we do? Now, today, I was thinking about our, our, our list of what we're, what we're covering in the book of First Peter and thinking about how this is probably the most important piece of the puzzle today. I mean, over the course of studying this book, we've learned all about persecution, why it happens, how we're supposed to respond to it. But it's kind of an important question to say, now that we know that, what will we do? Especially if you feel like this is something we could face in the future, or maybe in some way in your life, you're already facing pressure for being a Jesus follower. So what will our next move be? Now, before we get into that, I wanted to show you this picture and tell you a little bit more about the setting that 1 Peter was written into. So throughout the weeks of this study, we've talked about Emperor Nero and just the terrible things that were being done to Christians, the things they were getting blamed for, the way they were being falsely accused, and how in the middle of all of that, their calling was to still follow Jesus. And in fact, they were called, according to 1 Peter 2, to act the way Jesus acted when he was being persecuted. So here is a statement from a historian, H.B. Workman. He wrote a book called Persecution in the Early Church. And this just gives us a setting. Remember, 1 Peter was written right at the beginning of the persecution period that started with Nero and really lasted for about 200 years. It ebbed and flowed throughout that time. But essentially, if you were going to follow Jesus for this 200-year period of time, um, the, the decision to follow him was not one you could make lightly. You could not become a halfway Christian. Uh, You couldn't just sort of try Christianity out for a while and see if it works for you. Uh, It was, you were in or you're out, You you were forced to a point of real decision because if you chose to follow Jesus, you would likely pay a heavy price for that. Here's what Workman says, for 200 years from Nero on, the leaders among Christians were branded as anarchists and atheists. Now the reason they'd use those two words, anarchy, because you were resisting the Emperorship of Rome. Even if you weren't a political resistor, just the fact that you weren't willing to say Caesar is Lord made you someone who they thought of as a rebel. They would say atheist because Christians would not worship all the Roman and the Greek gods and goddesses that were all over the place in that time. And so, because you just had one God, uh, they would call you an atheist, which is interesting. Okay, now they were hated accordingly. It says to become a Christian meant the great renunciation the joining of a despised and persecuted sect, the swimming against the tide of popular prejudice, the coming under the ban of the empire, the possibility at any moment of imprisonment and death under its most fearful forms. He that would follow Christ must count the cost and be prepared to pay the same with his liberty and his life. The mere profession of Christianity itself was a crime. Christianus sum, which would mean I am a Christian, was almost the one plea from which there was no forgiveness. In itself, that was all that was necessary as a title to be condemned. For many, the name itself meant the rack, the blazing shirt of pitch, the lion, the panther, or in the case of maidens, an infamy worse than death. So they're facing the worst kind of torturous persecution what should they do how should they live what should they prioritize how do you even wake up in the morning and know what you're supposed to do that day if that's happening to you and we talked about in previous weeks how there's kind of a spectrum of persecution that we might imagine on the lighter side of the spectrum probably things that we could face in america potentially maybe someone makes fun of you because you're a christian Maybe you're not willing to, whatever it is, you know, drink with the buddies or something and they laugh at you, okay? So you, you face some pressure, there's some pushback, but you say, well, it's nothing near what they were dealing with in the first century, but it's the beginning of that, right? So you have, the, you have sort of emotional persecution and you have the, the, the idea of the peer pressure being against you on one side, and then it starts to ramp up, right? Maybe, the, maybe further down the spectrum, you lose your job if you're a Christian, Or you try to make a stand for what's right and as a result people actually reject you and they you know they defriend you and then you go a little further and maybe now there's actually organized pressure against you as a christian and then the furthest side of the spectrum would be exactly what we see in this image where it's all out murder and torture of anyone who follows jesus so wherever we find ourselves on that spectrum we still have to decide what we'll do when we face the pressure Right? When, when the moment comes for you to stand, where will you stand? What will you stand on? What will you stand for? What will you do? What will you do if that pressure comes to you and your loved ones? Now, here's what Peter said to this church of that time, which is instructive for us. In verse 12 of chapter 4, and we'll dig into the text here in just a minute, He said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. To us, it's strange that this would happen to people. But in history, is it strange that people who stand for what is right end up being persecuted? No. We're we're the ones in a strange situation where we might be able to sail through life and not feel a lot of this. But for the most part, through most of history, and still in many parts of the world, the normal experience of following Jesus is following Jesus into suffering. You're literally following Jesus right to the cross. So don't be surprised when that happens. It's always been the case that people who stand for what's right, people who demonstrate the light and love of Jesus in their communities who walk a different way than their culture walks it's always been the case that those people get resisted that those people face pressure and in sometimes fiery trial comes to them so if it happens to us we would know well this isn't this isn't abnormal in fact the period of freedom we've all been living in that's what's abnormal sadly in human history so thinking about our narrative here of how we're walking through this book, we come to verse seven of chapter four where the picture has been painted for us that we're supposed to follow Jesus all the way to the cross. And if we're insulted, we can't return, we can't retaliate. If, if we're the ones that are under pressure, instead we commit ourselves to God the same way that Jesus did. So how will we live that out? What should you and I actually do Now, so let's start reading in chapter 4, verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve each other. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as if God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything that you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, don't be surprised if the, at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering, so you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, then you will be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, prying into other people's affairs, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. If the judgment begins with us, what terrible a fate awaits those who've never obeyed God's good news. And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you, for he will never fail you. And there we have very direct instruction. If we face persecution, how should we act? What should we do? Well, there it is. So we're going to walk through this we're going to walk through it backwards. We're going to deal with attitude first and then we're going to come back to the actions that are called for in our lives. So first question, what attitude should I have if, I, if I'm persecuted? If you wake up one day and whether it's the system that you're in or the government that's over top of you or something at your, employ, at your employer uh, or maybe it's in your family, could just be your friends in your peer group, if you realize, wait a minute, I'm being persecuted, I'm being pressured because I'm a Christian, what should I think? How should I feel about that? Well, verse 12, the most obvious thing here, I was expecting this. Right? That could be in our hearts and our minds. Like if we're, if, we're, if we're ready, if we think ahead of time about this, we recognize I, I'm expecting that in the normal course of following Jesus, I will face resistance. Now you won't face resistance if you don't actually follow Jesus. So if you say, man, I've never had any resistance. Well, you're probably not actually following him because when you follow Jesus, you do run up against the values and systems of the world and they will resist you. So the more you follow Jesus, the more pressure you're going to face. So when it happens, you say, well, I was expecting this. That's exactly what has always happened to people who follow Jesus, and it happened to Jesus himself. So there's no surprise. The second thing that happens in our attitude, I find in verse 13, that I can rejoice that I have proof of my partnership with Christ. Hey, okay, look a little more closely at verse 13. It says, instead, be very glad... For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you'll have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. There's no better proof that you're actually following Jesus than if people are treating you the way they treated Jesus, right? That as you follow him and you face pressure, you say, okay, I'm partnering with Jesus here on the road of suffering. Just like other people who've stood for love and light and truth, I'm just, I'm right there in that train, so Lord, to the extent this is, you know, I, I, I don't want this to happen to me, but thank you that I can partner with you on this journey of life, and here's evidence that I really am a partner, right? Sometimes when we, when we face, I don't know, doubts in our minds, or we wonder, am I really a Christian? Is this, am I just making this up in my mind, or am I really serious about this? The pressure that you feel is, a, is sort of some evidence that it's actually happening, Right? So to the extent that you feel persecuted, you can say, Lord, I'm partnering with you on this journey. Okay, Jesus himself said it this way. He said, God blesses you when people mock you, persecute you, lie about you, and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way, be very glad when, when people are mocking you and you. that's not the emotion that you feel naturally, right? This is really counterintuitive. But when you come up against this kind of resistance, you say, Lord, thank you. Like this is exactly how they treated you. This is how they treated the prophets. And now with the benefit of even more church history behind us, we can say this is how they've treated so many Christians across all of these centuries. It's no surprise that they treat me this way. And Lord, I rejoice that I'm counted as one of yours. I'm I'm rejoicing that the name of Jesus is so attached to me that they have to aim their hate for Jesus at me. Now, here's another attitude that we can maintain when persecution comes to us. No matter what people say, I don't have to feel ashamed of this. Look at verse 14. If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. Now, The way that people will make you feel is ashamed. In the first century, they would tell all sorts of lies about the Christians of that era. The first big lie, remember, was that when Rome was burning and Nero was fiddling and that whole story unfolded, Nero blamed the Christians for setting the fires that ruined the city of Rome. So right off the bat, people are, they're not thinking of of Christians as a positive, you know, whatever element in society. If they find out you're a Christian, a lot of people are upset with you about something you didn't even do. But they're blaming you for the problems that they have. Well, it got even crazier and more grotesque than that. There was lots of fake news, there always has been. The fake news back then was that Christians behind closed doors were doing terrible things. So they would, they would read the text about the, the Lord's Supper and think about what communion meant and they would, they would put out rumors that Christians are practicing cannibalism of their own. Uh, or they would put out rumors that Christians are, there's all these immoral orgies happening behind closed doors, just terrible things that were completely opposite of everything that Jesus came to, to teach and everything that these Christians were living in their lives, but they were being mocked, they were being lied about, they were being falsely accused, just like Jesus was mocked, lied about, falsely accused. So when that happens, you recognize if I'm following Jesus, I'm not going to feel ashamed. Even if the whole world thinks I should be ashamed, I refuse to feel that because I know in my heart who I'm following. Now, one thing we have to watch out for is some people end up in hot water culturally, not because they're exactly following Jesus, but because they're angrily misrepresenting Jesus and then the culture pushes back. We don't really feel a lot of compassion for those people. They're signing up for that. I don't think the blessing is attached to that. So you have to to say, if I'm acting like Jesus, if my words sound like Jesus and then I get the pushback, that's when this blessing happens. Uh, But if I'm living in the flesh, if I'm filled with anger, if I'm, you know, hard-nosed and whatever, I mean, just the, if, if it, then I'm kind of inviting that pushback, and that's not at all what this is talking about. But if you walk the, the way of Jesus and people persecute you, there is a blessing for you in that. and You don't have to feel ashamed about what they say. Another attitude we can have in our hearts if we face this in our future is we can say, I'm glad that I'm on the right side of the sifting that's coming. Now, look at verse 17. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. But what is a judgment? A judgment is sort of an official opinion, right? It's a rendering of here's what's true. You might say in this context, it's a division, a judgment about who's really in and who's out, who's really true and who's false, and the judgment via the persecution that was coming, was sifting. I mean, anybody that claimed to be a Christian was being judged and sifted and proven or falling away, one or the other. You can imagine Peter saying, if it's this rough for us during this part of the story, imagine what's going to happen to all the people who've rejected God for their whole lives. The people who walk right into eternity with no regard for Jesus whatsoever if the judgment if we're experiencing all of this pain and suffering and difficulty in the sifting that we're experiencing here on earth imagine what is to come for the rest of the world so we have this perspective that even when the pressure is on we're saying I'm so glad I'm on the right side of all of this because this is ugly and it's terrible and it's torturous Jesus thank you that I belong to you instead of to the other side. And then the last attitude that we maintain is that I'm going to press forward in faith no matter what. Verse 19, if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what's right. Trust your lives to the God that created you, for He will never fail you as you're going through pain and agony in this world, you're not looking for this world's validation. You're not looking for the pleasures of this world to define your earthly life. You're you're thinking about something more, and you say, I'm entrusting my soul, my life to God. He won't fail me even though this world is failing me. The more we're persecuted, the more it should drive us toward God toward heaven toward the vision of what life is really about the aim of a persecutor is to separate you from your faith right but when you when you walk into this with the right attitude persecution makes your faith stronger that's been the point of all that first peter's been teaching us it's like it's refining our faith the way gold is refined by fire so that's our attitude now let's get to action If you face persecution, what should you do? What will you do? How should I act? So we're going to look back at verse 7 and just sort of pick out the actions here that Peter is teaching the Christians of the first century to live by and recognize this is the life that we're called to live when the pressure comes to us. So here we go. The end of the world is coming soon, therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. One translation says, be sober-minded, be serious. Recognize that life is not a game. The world out there, especially in our culture, the world seems to be built on people wasting time on things that literally don't matter at all. Don't join them take your life seriously and the more pressure you feel the more seriously you should take your life so you're you're sober-minded you're earnest you're disciplined in your prayers and it says most important of all continue to show deep love for each other you know at the moment of maximum pressure the temptation would be to splinter to disengage to hide But when you come under that persecution pressure say lord i'm choosing ahead of time i'm going to lean even more into love the more i'm hated the more i'll love especially the people who are closest to me in my church family for love covers a multitude of sins cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay i think verse 9 is kind of like a surprise in first peter Right, I mean, you think Nero, the lions, the Colosseum, suffering, and then oh, by the way, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. So where's that coming from? I think you know, as as the, the to me, if I was making a list of you know Dan's best ideas for how to deal with tough times, that would not be on the list. I would be thinking, you know, preserve everything for me, right? build up my stock of ammo or something and hide in the barn. But here, I'm supposed to cheerfully share my home with those who need a meal or place to stay. The harder life gets, the more our hearts should open up. And so we start realizing I've got more to do in this life. And if there's pressure, especially if it's life and death pressure, I have to maximize every moment I have, not to try to preserve my moments, but maximize it to do as much good and show as much love as I can with whatever it is that I have. So if you face pressure, instead of letting that defeat you and deflate you, turn it around and say that's all the more reason that I'm going to be a giving and hospitable person. That's all the more reason I want to devote myself to serve and to love. Hey, okay, the text continues on and tells us how to do that. Look at verse 10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts use them well to serve one another do you have the gift of speaking speak as if God is speaking through you do you have the gift of helping okay help with all the energy that God supplies in other words whatever it is that you can do whatever God has given you to do in your life pressure should not separate you from that calling pressure should make you go at it even harder And so whenever you face persecution, you say, this is why I'm here. And so whatever I have to offer this broken world, I'm going to offer it. However I can serve other people, I'm going to serve them. So just when we're tempted to get selfish under pressure, Peter calls us to turn it around and to start giving and loving even more. Then, as you see in the last sentence there, everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ here in a world where Jesus is being mocked, where Nero has put out all these false accusations and anybody who belongs to Jesus is anathema to the culture. In that world, the culture isn't giving Jesus any glory, but your life can be. Because the more pressure they put on you, the more you look and shine like Jesus would. And so as you follow Jesus into suffering, it's not just an issue of you making it. It's an issue of God being glorified by what happens through your life. So everything you do can bring glory to God. When the pressure's on, it's like a magnifying glass on top of your life. And even more glory can be brought to God by the way that you act and the things that you do. So summing that up, if you say, what should I do in the moment of maximum pressure? Well, stay earnest and disciplined in prayer show deep love for others cheerfully offer hospitality use every gift intentionally bring glory to god in everything that you do that's how we're supposed to act when we're persecuted now you can look at that list for a moment think wait a minute that might actually just be how we're supposed to act in general (laughs) so when we're persecuted The instruction is to keep living the life of Jesus and intensify your commitment to it, but these are not things that we would wait around and say, well, I'll get to it when the pressure comes. This is who we're supposed to be right now. So you don't want it to be that the first time you ever think of cheerfully opening your home to someone else is when there's, you know, federal persecution against you. No, you do it now, Right. Um, or that you would be disciplined in your prayer, you would take life seriously. Do that now. Start loving people now. Start using your gifts now. And as the pressure comes, or whether it never comes, you'll have maximized the time that God gives you in this world. It's possible, I suppose it's remotely possible, that all of our lives could just be on easy street for the next 50 years, right? The rest of our earthly lifetimes, man, everything's just great. I don't know what it looks like. I kind of hope that it would be like that, that everything would be great. But I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't great. In fact, the surprising thing would be if it was. See what I mean? The norm in history is pressure. The norm in history is persecution. And really if you look at a globe and you spin it the norm in on the globe is pressure and persecution. If you have a moment that's easier, don't waste it, maximize it. And recognize it won't last forever, but as long as it lasts, I want to do the things that make life count. So, just to sum all this up today and leave you with a challenge, we're going to pray through this for a couple moments as we conclude. Let me give you three statements just to offer some perspective on what we should do next. Choose now how you will respond then. Plan ahead of time. If your friend laughs at you because you follow Jesus, what's your plan? If someone at work shrugs at you and wants you to do something dishonest and you're thinking, wait, I'm a Christian, I can't do that, what's your plan? If you run into some situation in the future where there's actually organized persecution against you or against all of us, what's your plan? Now, we don't know what it looks like, so we really can't make a specific plan, but we can choose now to respond the way that Peter tells us to respond to the pressure. We can choose ahead of time not to be surprised. We can choose ahead of time. If I have to wear the name of Jesus, and that triggers people out there, and suddenly I'm facing pressure, I'll choose to be glad that I get to wear the name of Jesus. So choose now how you'll respond then. Here's the next one. Prioritize now the way you will prioritize then. It's easy to think about doing better in the future than we're currently doing. That's generally the case in every aspect of life, right? Our future selves are way more disciplined and organized than our current selves will ever be so today say lord how do you want me to live whether i'm being persecuted or not how do what what priorities do you want me to maintain and then grow in that grow in that right away don't wait and here's the last one act now the way you'll hope to act then rather than just having some imagination of being courageous in the final moment, start with today, like Sunday afternoon, and do what Jesus would have you do right now. When it's a lot easier, when that moment of courage isn't required of you, be faithful with the life you've been given. And then you'll be ready if things change. You'll be ready to face persecution, or storms, or whatever might come in your life if today you've organized your life to follow Jesus no matter what, to have faith no matter what. So what I'd like us to do is take a few minutes to pray, and I'm going to invite you to participate in prayer just silently in your own heart, just to contemplate a little bit of what God would have you to do. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, It's no surprise to us that people resist you. If it wasn't for your grace in our lives, we would be among those who are resisting. But you've saved us, you've called us out, you've given us purpose and love in our hearts, you've entrusted us with light to share with the world. So it won't surprise us if we face a fiery trial. In that moment, Lord, we pray for your grace to stand and to love when everything in our natural instinct would be the opposite of that. We pray for courage and we pray for perspective to see what you see about eternity and purpose and not just what this world values. So now as we take a few minutes to pray silently, let's start by praying about our attitudes. Lord, is there anything in the attitude of my heart that needs to change? And now, Jesus, we want to pray about our priorities. Lord, in the light of what is happening in the world right now, and in the light of what you have called us to do and who you've called us to be, is there anything about my priorities that needs to change? Lord, we want to pray about our actions as well. And so as we think about moments of maximum pressure, moments of decision, we know that we need your help to face those and to act well in those moments. But right now, today in this moment, Do you want me to act differently? Jesus, you told us to be glad when persecution comes. Not because we like it or we want it, but because it demonstrates that we're truly your followers in a way that nothing else really can. That we would shine your light so brightly that people around us really would notice. So, Lord, would you help us to be glad, glad to wear your name, glad to walk forward into the future in your direction? Lord, is there anything in our lives right now, any aspect of our lives, that rather than responding in joy, We've responded in some other way, and we need to come back to joy. Holy Spirit, whatever happens next, personally or together. We thank you for every heartbeat that we have. We thank you for being a part of our lives, guiding us, directing us, empowering us, gifting us, sending us. Lord, I for one, and I'm imagining many of my brothers and sisters in the room here today, don't want to wait until the last minute to get strong in our faith. And so today we ask you for that strengthening, and we commit ourselves to honoring these principles in both bad times and in good times. We look forward to that. In Jesus' name we pray.